I'm sure some of you guys who are older, have you ever heard that phrase or that saying, uh, uh, has the cat got your tongue? Have any of you guys heard that one, older people, right? <laughs> you know, some of us older folks have probably heard the expression, um, it's a uh, saying that we say when we're at a loss for words or when we're quiet or when we're silent. Someone might say, the, the, cat, the cat got your tongue. You know, it was uh, interesting. I was trying to trace where this came from. The earliest entry for the expression is in an Oxford English Dictionary back in 1911. But it is believed that the origin of the saying actually dates back to the Middle Ages. And one of the most popular legends is that it, it was something that, that witches, uh, I guess, it originated in, from them in that they said the, the witches' cats would steal a person's speech so that the sighting of a witch could not be reported to the authorities. And so uh, that's the, how they say that saying started, um, that, you know, someone comes up to you and, and they ask, did you see a witch? And they would say nothing, you know, uh, because supposedly the, the black cat, you know, got their tongue. Of course, we know that's just a legend. We're not really sure how it came about. Others say it's related to a myth that cats were able to steal a baby's breath by smothering themselves over the baby at the smell of the milk. And so you guys know how cats like milk. And so that baby got some milk and they want some. And so, you know, some say it happened that way. Others say the phrase was actually related to the cat of nine tails. You guys remember the cat of nine tails? That was that scourge. And so they say that it was when men were threatened to silence lest they be scourged. And so the, the saying became popular, what, what happened? The cat got your tongue. And so I don't know. We don't know. It's not uh, for sure. But I will say this. In, in studying this chapter today, we're going to go through this amazing chapter. I have another theory and that the cat is actually the lion, the devil, as described in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And too many times we're silent when we should be bold. We're at a loss for words, even when God opens doors that we might open our lips about the Lord. A lot of times we don't. And in one sense, you know, the cat has got our tongue. And so this morning we're going to learn from Peter's fourth sermon in the book of Acts, the power we have when we open our mouth that even though we're weak, when we speak, God will bring life. And so look what we read in, in Acts 4. It says in verse 1, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And so you guys know we're going through the book of Acts. It's uh, how the church was built. It was born. It's growing. Um, it's history. It's not just information, though. I really believe that we're reading it for transformation so that it will be her story and his story as well. God wants to use this word for our lives. And so up to this point, we read in chapter 2, the birth of the church. In chapter 3, 
the growth of the church. We now begin to see the persecution of the church. But we'll also see it does not prevent the further growth of the church. And I was wondering, like, how you guys are doing? How's life? Has the devil been uh, coming at you in any way? And you guys experiencing opposition, struggle, battle? You know, the devil will use people to try to get you. Maybe some of you are experiencing that today. That's what happens when you're doing something right, right? We will experience persecution. But even though we're going to see this persecution takes place, we'll also see that it does not prevent the power of God. It will not stop the work that God wants to do. Remember what Jesus said? He said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You know, remember what Paul wrote in Romans 8.31, who then, what then shall we say to these things? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? You guys want to know something? The, the country today in the world, that is the, the area that is experiencing the most persecution is in the Middle East. But did you know that they are the fastest growing church today? Because that's what happens when the devil comes against the church and they're persecuted but they do not keep silent because the devil can't stop the work of God. You know, if you were here last week, you might remember we studied about the man who was lame from birth for over 40 years. And that man was then healed, remember, through Peter and John. And the man was walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. And so in light of that healing, everyone there was staring at Peter and John and uh, them, you know, being the point men that they were, they pointed the people to Christ, to his life, his death, his resurrection from the dead. Um, when you read Acts 3, it really is an amazing sermon rooted in the scriptures. But the leaders in the temple, the priests, the Sadducees and the captain of the temple, we read that here in chapter 4. The captain of the temple would be the guy that oversaw the guards there. Uh, they were, you know, responsible to make sure there was no mob. They were angry because Peter and John were proclaiming in Christ the resurrection of the dead. And so you guys probably know this, but just in case you don't know, when the Lord was here in his earthly ministry, it was primarily opposition experienced from the Pharisees. But afterwards, when the church preached the resurrection, primarily, the uh, opposition came primarily from the Sadducees. Because the Sadducees were very powerful, they were very wealthy, they were very influential, and they believed that there was no resurrection from the dead. They didn't believe in angels, they, they didn't believe in spirits. Acts 23, verse 8, it tells us that. And so they laid hands on Peter and John, they locked them up where they would spend the night in jail. And that wouldn't be fun. Anyone here ever done that? No, I'm just joking. I want to. And you know, and so you know, you might think that, well, then that would therefore discourage any of those men who heard the word that day to follow Christ, right? Because look what happens if you become a Christian, you get arrested. But, but don't you just love what we read in verse 4? Notice again, however, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. You know, remember, we read earlier in Acts 2.41 that 3,000 got saved. Now it's a total of 5,000. And so on this day, 2,000 men believed and were thereby added to the body of Christ. They heard the word, the message about the Messiah. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of David, the Passover Lamb. He bore our sins. He paid our punishment in our place. He died for us. He was uh, the one that experienced death because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He defeated it, proving who he was, who he is. They heard the message and they believed. And the moment they believed, they were added to the church, set free from religion, and they entered into a relationship with God. You know, and that's how you get saved. They believed. You know, it's not an intellectual acknowledgement in the brain or head. It was a spiritual act of faith in the heart, a trust in the truth. And so they were saved. And, you know, when I read that, I just, man, Lord, you're so awesome. I remember the day that I got saved after years and years of religion. I read my Bible. I still didn't know the Lord. You know, I tried everything to change and I couldn't change. But the moment I put my faith in Christ and believed in him, then he saved me. You know, and and what we find is that the enemy cannot stop God. You guys know that, right? He cannot stop God. God or the word of God in any way on any day, even when there are chains in the church, even if we all got arrested, it wouldn't stop the work of God. You know, I like what Paul wrote in Second Timothy 2. It says in verse 8 and 9, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. See, wherever we go, wherever God might send you, he might send you to China, he might send you to the Middle East, he might send you to Nepal or India or Cambodia. We must not be afraid. We must not be afraid to suffer, get arrested, die. We must not be silent. And that's what we learn in our study today. Now, having said that, that the word of God cannot be stopped, it doesn't mean the enemy won't try, right? He won't try. He will try. Look what we read in verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? And so the guys got arrested for healing the lame man. Um, They're probably in jail wondering, what did we do wrong? You know, but the next day they bring him in front of all the big guns, man. I mean, Annas was Caiaphas' father-in-law. He had been high priest from 86 to 15 But he was removed from office by the Roman authorities and replaced by his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who was high priest from 18 to 36. And so it gives us a date, a timeline, right? But in the Jews' eyes, Annas was still considered the high priest. And so, you know, when you're there in front of all these people, I mean, it could have been intimidating, right? The courtroom scene that day was the the rulers, the mayors, the governors, the policemen, uh, the senators, You know, the high priest was kind of like the Jewish uh, president of the country. There were two of them there. These men made up the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. And so 
You know, they put Peter and John right in the middle and they amazingly, ironically, I believe sovereignly asked them the, the right question, the perfect question, by what power and by what name have you done this? Isn't that cool? And so we read in, in verse 8, Peter's response, and then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Peter, man, he didn't, he didn't dance around the issue, you know. He didn't beat around the bush. You know, Peter, man, he just was so beautifully bold wasn't he? I mean, how did this happen to this guy? I mean, how was he so bold? How was this man who at one time denied the Lord, more or less behind the scenes where no one could see, was able now to preach the Lord in the front lines with such courage and clarity before the Supreme Court of Israel who could, you know, put him to death, you know, in, at the, the twinkle of an eye? You know, verse 8, it gives us the answer, doesn't it? It says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's the key. That's the key to my life and that's the key to your life. That will set us free from the sin of silence. When God opens doors for us to speak the name of Jesus and we don't. The answer for us, it might not be eloquent, it doesn't even matter. As long as we're not silent. The key is we must be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then you can't be filled with yourself. You can't be filled with sin. You can't be filled with the, the things of the world. I mean, you guys know how it is, right? You go to dinner and whatever. It's supposed to be a healthy dinner, but, you know, you're not hungry because you had some hot Cheetos, like a whole bunch of hot Cheetos or whatever, the junk food, you know. There's an apple fritter sitting on my desk right now. It's calling my name. <laughs> but I know I'm supposed to have a banana first. You see, that's how, how it, in one sense it works. And I know it's a silly illustration, but I've been a pastor for a long time now, and I know that is exactly the problem with the church, that we are filling our souls with junk food. We are filling ourselves with the things that this world has to offer, and it is so ugly. That's why we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to empty ourselves. We have to deny ourselves. We have to pray. We have to hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's then and only then that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we need. We will go nowhere until that happens. And that's what happened with Peter. It changed him from the man who was defeated by a 14-year-old girl you know, to the man who is now defeating the authorities. I mean, just amazing story in Peter's life. You know, the Holy Spirit, apart from him, we can do nothing. But, 
You guys got to know this. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. I don't care what your background is. Maybe you've only been a Christian for, you know, 37 seconds. You never know. Someone may have gotten saved right now. They're like, hey, I'll believe in Jesus. I mean, that's how it can happen. But it doesn't matter who you are or what's happened in the past. If today you yield your life to Christ, he can do anything through you. Anything that God can do can be done now through you when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus told the apostles back in Luke 24, 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He said, don't go anywhere until you experience this power of the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, you know, you might be here and you might be sincere and some of you guys might be biblically smart. You might be seasoned saints. But the bottom line is, if we're not filled afresh with the Spirit, we're sunk. We need the power from on high. And you guys know we need it every day. God teaches us that lesson, huh? I mean, you guys ever think about the fact, um, how many of you think there'll, there'll be sleep in heaven? Just out of curiosity, anyone here have any opinions? So, will there be sleep in heaven? I know I love sleep. I kind of hope so. <laughs> I don't know for sure. Uh, I doubt it, you know, because we won't have to be recharged, huh? But every night, these bodies need to get recharged, just like your phones need to get recharged. And it's almost like a lesson to us that every day you need that fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. Every single day, you know, that's why... You know, every morning I wake up in the morning and maybe I had a bad day yesterday, but I try not to dwell on it because now is a new day. Now is a new day and you just never know what God will do. And he gives me like a new beginning. I love that about the Lord. You know, I, I don't know. I'm curious about this. How, how many of you here have run out of gas, have actually run out of gas? Anyone here? Okay, so some people have, huh? And I wonder, like, how did that happen, you know? Did you uh, just forget? Did you not look? I mean, were you pushing it to the edge? I, mean, I don't know, you know. But you know how it is. If you have no gas, you're not going to go anywhere. And there are lessons like this all around us. And we need the fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. Did you ask for Him today? Did you search your heart? Did you empty yourself of self today? How can you be filled with God and the Holy God if you're filled with sin? You know, you ask him for forgiveness and you make sure that you let go of those things you need to let go of. And then you, you know, you're filled with him. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.18, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. That's a wasted life. But he said, on the contrary, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, he influences us. When I was, uh, I used to get drunk before I was a Christian. I would say things that I normally wouldn't say. Any of you guys can relate to that? Things you probably regret. You know, I don't know. But now, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, again, I say things that I normally wouldn't say, but now there are things that I should say because God now has control of my heart, which is controlling my tongue, which is controlling my life. You know, to be bold. Again, not necessarily eloquent. There are plenty of people who are eloquent, not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's probably more along the lines of not being silent. And that's what I want to share with you guys today. 
You know, at the end of the day, we're still here for the same reason that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. You know, God wants to use your life to reach the lost. And, you know, it might be someone you work with. It might be a friend. It might be a coworker. Someone comes to your mind. They just pop in your heart. And, you know, I don't know what the situation will be. It might be a complete stranger. And God will use you to share the Lord with them. And, uh, and you don't have to worry about, you know, being rejected because if they reject you, they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting the Lord. What we need to do is we need to speak the name of Jesus. Not be ashamed. Now, I'm not saying shove it down people's throats, but I am saying look intently for open doors. And once God opens those doors, man, you make sure you go in. And not just saying, you know, God or good or politically correct things, but you share the Lord with them. You know, we're going to see that in our lesson today. And, you know, the enemy cannot stop the word of God. So what he does is do, he does his best to frustrate and intimidate the people of God from speaking the word of God. Do you understand that? That if the word goes out, it cannot be defeated that God will accomplish his purposes. Do you understand the power of letting the word out? Do you you understand the power of speaking Jesus' name? That can't be stopped. So what does he do? He tried, the devil tries to stop us from speaking. And that's the simple way this battle goes out. You know, there's not much he can do about us being Christians, so he just wants us to be quiet so that it spreads no further. You know, these religious leaders, they, they want to know how the lame man is now walking. How, how was it done? How did they heal him? By what power? In whose name? And Peter preaches Christ and him crucified He says to them, something you did, by the way, and, you know, you killed the Christ, but he didn't stay dead. He's alive now. And just to let you know, you thought you could get rid of him, but you can't. You never will. One day you'll stand before him by this man. This lame man now stands before you whole. You know, and and the lame man, he's a testimony, huh, of what God can do. And that's what happens when people get saved. That's what happens. We all have a story and all of us here at one time, we were dead. Now we're alive. If you're a Christian, right? A lot of you guys here, you were lame. You couldn't walk with the Lord, but now you can. You walk with the Lord. You walk, you know, for the Lord. You walk like the Lord. I mean, it's amazing what God has done. Your testimonies and the testimonies today are so amazing. If only we would, you know, open our eyes. And I read, I don't know if you guys uh, have heard of Tom and Joanne Doyle. Uh, They're missionaries in the Middle East, and uh, they just uh, wrote a book. We should probably get it for Christmas so you guys can give it away or maybe even read it yourself. It's a book called Standing in the Fire, Courageous Christians Living in Frightening Times. And uh, recently, they were a guest on Focus on the Family. I don't know if any of you heard the the broadcast, but they shared the the testimony, amazing testimonies, you know. And again, just sharing this with you because, you know, you can see the, the power of God. You know, what he's doing around the world, even today. I guess there's a man, his name is Osama al-Jihadi, and he was a major leader in Jabhat al-Nusra. It's the number two terrorist group in Iraq. And 
And so they're, they're there, and, and he has a cousin named Jamal, who was also in this terrorist group. But amazingly, Jamal comes to faith in Christ. And so one night, his cousin Osama's house gets hit by a rocket. And so he's rushed to the hospital, and they're thoroughly convinced he's going to die. But he ends up in a coma. And so while Osama is in this coma, his cousin Jamal comes And when there's no doctors or nurses or Muslims around, he reads to him the Bible while he's in the coma. He would only do this when he was alone. uh, And so what happened is weeks later, because he had gone and read the Bible to him day after day, weeks later, Osama wakes up. And when he sees his cousin, he says to him, what were you reading to me? Those were the most amazing words I've ever heard. You see, when when people are in comas, even though he was in a coma, the word of God reached his heart. And he told him, he said it was the Bible. And so what happened was Osama began reading the Bible for himself. And as a result of that, he comes to faith in Christ. This complicates things, of course, because both of them are leaders in the terrorist group, uh, Japat al-Nusra. And so Osama is supposed to show up for meetings. Uh, He's in the mix of all that, but he goes AWOL stop showing up, and so eventually they go after him, they catch him, and they proceed to torture him for 30 days. They then give him the option, recant or we will kill you tomorrow. And these were his words. I can't deny Jesus in my mind. I can't deny Jesus in my heart. And they said, well, just say the words. And you'll be saved. And he said, I can't deny Jesus with my lips. After all that he's done for me, how can I do this to him? And so the next day, he faced the firing squad. And guess what happened? God stepped in. Somehow, he miraculously survived. And today, this man is a witness in Syria, reaching out to Muslims in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, these are things that are going on today. You're here in America, and we're so caught up in this world. We are so caught up in this world. We forget what's going on in the kingdom. You know, there's another story they shared about, because their sons are missionaries as well, and so they're there sharing with the Bedouins, and then this lady, a Muslim lady, she comes up to them, and she speaks to them through an interpreter, and, and, and she asked them, what are you doing here? And they're like, well, we're just, you know, sharing with the Bedouins. And she said, the reason I ask you is because you too were in my dreams last night. And in my dreams, the voice told me that you had a message for me. And so it was kind of funny because the dad was sharing the, the story. And he said, wow, talk about a blessing for a missionary. He said, if they don't get this right, they're going to get fired, you know. <laughs> and, you know, of course, they shared with her and she got saved. And, I, and so just to me, I'm thinking, imagine now these guys going and sharing their, their story. The lame man is now walking. I mean, people are going to come to the Lord, right? And so what we see right here is this, the lame man's testimony of salvation opens doors and, and it's just so cool how Peter walks through them. And as we've seen, oftentimes in the book of Acts, something so important, Peter backs everything up biblically, right? 
He quotes from Psalm 118, verse 22, something that Pastor Mark read earlier. I don't know if he knew we were going through that, but you know how Jesus Christ is the, the chief cornerstone. Look there in verse 11. This is the same stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now, it's an interesting psalm. Psalm 118 is messianic. It's all about the, the Messiah. They knew that. What did they think about this, that the builders would reject the chief cornerstone? You know, a tradition tells us that when Solomon built the temple, they sent up the chief cornerstone, but it was thrown back down in the Kidron Valley, rejected by the builders, until later on they found out that the stone was missing and they brought it back. You know, to me, that's amazing, because how God just shows his word to be so true and he gives us visible living illustrations of the validity of it. They experience this. And Peter says it's all in the Bible. The Bible predicted that you would reject the Messiah. You know, he shares the scriptures, you know, in the architecture of the day in every stone building, one stone was critical and that is the chief cornerstone. It was and is there to ensure that the building was stable. It was the rock upon which the weight of the entire structure rested, and that is Jesus. You see, they, the builders, had rejected their Messiah, and and so Peter shares that with them, but then, oh man, he shares something that is so huge. After speaking about the cornerstone that they had rejected, he then rocks the world by saying there in verse 12 that there's no other way to get to heaven. You know, you want to know his name? It's his name. It's the name of Jesus. That not only has healed this man physically, but it's his name alone that brings healing spiritually. Look again at verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, you're going to see a lot in the book of Acts about the name. You know, and that's what we read in the Bible. You know, one way. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And then the Lord, of course, said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so, for us as Christians, it's not that we're narrow-minded. It's just that this is the way God has revealed himself to us. You know, some people, unfortunately, they don't like that, you know, there's only one way. And I don't know, man, I don't understand why they, they say that. Because I'm bad with directions. You know, some people, they got the sidetracks. Hey, you can go over here, the shortcut, you can get there. I'm like, no, just let it be off the 10 freeway right there, you know. Make it simple. That's what God has done. He's made it simple. Just believe in Jesus and you will be saved. It's not sophisticated. It's not complicated. He's made a way for sinners like me and you to go to heaven in the presence of perfect holiness because he washes away our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus was in the garden and you guys, you know, the, he was there and He's praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He, he went a little farther. The Bible says in Matthew 26, 39, he said, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. 
You know, and, and basically what Jesus is saying is that if there is, there is any other way to where I wouldn't have to die, let this cup pass, Father. Let it pass for me. I mean, if you could just be a good person and go to heaven, then why did Jesus die? If it was Buddha, then why did Jesus die? You know, I mean, you can't. There is no other way. There is salvation in no other name. And the Bible makes it perfectly clear. And so Peter, he shares this, this message. And, and there's no doubt it, it was powerful. And so we read in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I love this verse. It's a, it's a classic Calvary verse. You know, Calvary Chapel is one of the few, you know, I don't know if you call it denominations, a church, a non-denominational denomination that, that says you don't have to, you know, graduate from seminary. Um, as a matter of fact, you almost don't even have to know how to read <laughs> too much, man. You just have to be chosen by God. You know, untrained, oftentimes uneducated men, vessels of God used by him to bring so many to the Lord. You know, and that's the way it works. I, I realize that these rulers right here, they were just identifying the men that had actually been with Jesus literally and physically. But, you know, they're wondering about the power of Peter's preaching. I mean, his ability to quote and, and recall scripture like that. Untrained and uneducated men, they hadn't graduated from the University of Jerusalem. They weren't students of their seminary. And then the way that they just summarized it is they just said, well, I guess the key is they realized the key to any type of Christian calling in life is that they had been with Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand what God is saying. There's nothing wrong with education or training in the ministry. If we're you know, humble and we don't trust in me or the degree, then we'll be usable. Paul was trained and educated, and he was used mightily by God. So it's not that God is against education, but here's what happens when you become all educated and you know the Greek and the Hebrew. It's so hard just to trust in God. I mean, when you get, you know, some of you here, man, I mean, some people out there, they're just like so perfect people. Oh, I'd give you the shirt off my back and I'll tell you that I'll give you the shirt off my back. Well, you don't have to tell me that you'll give me the shirt off your back if that's the type of person you are. Don't think about the, your goodness because if you're good, then you might not trust in His goodness. It is all about grace untrained, uneducated, not my power, not my godliness. And God will choose the weak vessel and he will be glorified. And the most important part of being used by Jesus is simply being with Jesus. You know, we see that key to the calling back in Mark 3.14. Remember, he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. And then he might send them out to preach. You know, uh, what I need, you guys got to pray for me, and, I, and I'm praying for you. What we need is to spend more time 
with Jesus. I know you're busy. You got to wash your cat. I understand. Got to wash my car, make sure it's nice and pretty. And, you know, your house is, is just perfect. You know, and you look and just whatever. I don't, I mean, we, I just realized that, that the key and the reason oftentimes that we're not really usable is because we're just really not spending time with him. And sometimes we can even, you know, be reading our Bibles or praying or going to church service and we're really not spending time with him because it's, it's, it's got to be deep. It's got to be from the heart. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be genuine. I remember I had a friend. Every day he would ask me, did you spend time with the Lord? And I, and I would say, yeah. And then he would tell me, did you fellowship with God? And you guys know the difference, huh? It's just like with any other person. You can be with them and you're on your phone. You're thinking about the television or whatever. Yeah, 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 uh-huh. I mean, you didn't really spend time with them until, you know, you're looking in their eyes. That's how we need to be with the Lord. And if that's how we are, you might not be the smartest. You might not be the, the most trained or the most educated. But I promise you this. You will be used by Jesus when you spend time with Him. Be careful. Be careful that you don't become a Martha who is so busy. She was so busy working and serving the Lord that she didn't have time to sit at His feet. And so... In verse 14, it says, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I mean, what can you say? When they had commanded them to go outside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But, so that it spreads no further. Here, see, that's the key. They just didn't want it to spread. And we do want it to spread, right? But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to him, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. Notice again, because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And so it's simple. Was it, was it the, the, the strategy of Satan don't speak the name of Jesus. Because once you bring up Jesus, you bring up the way, the truth, and the life. Once you bring up Jesus, you bring the power of God in. So don't speak it. We'll kill you if you speak his name. You know, but Peter says, how can I not? After all, he's done for me. These are, this is my life. This is what I've lived. I mean, it was like the, the, that Muslim man who got saved. 
I can't take him out of my mind. I, I can't take him out of my heart. I can't take him out of my lips. But that's what the devil wants. You know, just let the cat get your tongue. Again, I'm not saying to be obnoxious and shove it down people's throats, but I am saying be open when God opens doors. And don't let the enemy stop you from speaking the name of Jesus. I mean, he'll do it in different ways. A lot of times it's through intimidation. Like, I won't speak the name of Jesus to my friends because then they won't be my friends anymore. Well, when they die and they go to hell and you're in heaven, what kind of friend is that? That's their only hope. He's their only hope. You've got to speak the name and you might get rejected. You might get criticized. You might get ostracized. That's okay. Don't be afraid of that. Sometimes it's through intimidation and you will go and you'll see like this Muslim man facing death. Don't be afraid to suffer. Don't be afraid to die. Never, wherever God sends you. Don't be afraid to speak the name of Jesus. You know, I told you guys in the city council prayers that I get to pray. They told me, don't, don't pray in the name of Jesus. Where'd that come from? But I just, I don't care, you know. I pray in the name of Jesus every single time. And I think God's doing a work in our city council because that might be a law somewhere that's floating around, but they don't, they, don't, they don't honor that. I thank God for that. I speak in the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. You know, sometimes it's through intimidation. Sometimes it's through condemnation. You know, am I worthy to preach? Are you worthy to speak the name of Jesus? Never, never, I'm not. I mean, here's Peter. I mean, this guy, he didn't pray. He followed Jesus at a distance. He warmed himself by the enemy's fire. He denied the Lord. I mean, what in the world is he doing preaching? And the devil will tell you that. What in the world? Why would you speak the name of Jesus? You don't got it all together. You've blown it. And he'll use that intimidation or use the condemnation that's why the lord has used peter in such a way because of the grace over his life that's the same grace that we get we don't deserve it but we are called to be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus That's why God chose Peter. That's why God chose Paul. That's why God chose, you know, some of the worst guys out there. You know, Pastor Raul, he was going to kill his wife. And God saved him and God uses him. Don't let the devil shut you up. And so, you know, Peter says, I'm sorry, but we're going to keep talking. (laughs) And in verse 23, it says, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So they go back to the church and they give them a report. You know, hey, they told us that if we speak the name of Jesus, then, you know, we're going to, they threatened us. And so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord 
and against his Christ. Notice again, he's quoting scripture, this time out of Psalm 2. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed with, with Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants safety. No, I'm just joking. It doesn't say that. <laughs> grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. I love this. You know, the rulers uh, uh, were gathered together, the rulers of the earth against them uh, to oppose Christ and oppose Christians, right? We see that in verse 25. We see that also in verse 6. Then what ends up happening is the church gathers together and, and they unite. They're, they're gathered together. Look, if you would, again at verse 24. It says, and so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. And remember, we've been talking about that throughout the book of, of Acts. The devil will love to come in and sow de- seeds of discord and divide us. But when we're united, we're strong, when we're of one accord. And, and here's the thing, that today, after today's study, we will unite in prayer. And together, we will pray for boldness. We will pray for boldness for our church, not safety. I mean, when you read this right here, it's interesting that they didn't ask for that. I just love the fact they didn't pray for protection from the bad guys necessarily, but they they prayed for for boldness. Uh, uh, They said, Lord, look on their threats. But they didn't say beat them off. They said, no, Lord, look on their threats and just grant us boldness. And when they asked that, they were then, it's kind of interesting, we go back to where we began. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. You want to know why? Because the devil cannot defeat the word of God. And when the people of God are filled with the spirit of God, and when we speak the word of God, no one, nothing on any day or in any way, will be stopped. And so I pray, you guys, we would share the name of Jesus. Let me close with one last story, and it's a true story, and this is a fascinating, it's always been a fascinating one to me. In the year 1432, there was a devastating plague. It broke out in, in Portugal, in the city of Lisbon. And you may have heard about this, but the people there, uh, what ended up happening was they... they, they they, they went through this plague and it, it began to spread through the entire country of Portugal. Thousands of men, women, and children, they lost their lives to the disease. And the historians tell us that it was like lightning. It flashed from one man to another, like from a hand or a coat or any garment that had been previously used by that person who had that plague. I mean, it just spread. It was killing everyone in the country. And so... Uh, a man by the name of Andre Diaz. And you've got to read the story because it's a true story. And it's an illustration of what we study today. He traveled the country and all he did 
was to tell everyone to speak the name of Jesus. Just, just believe in Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. And as they did, what ended up happening is they began to experience healing in one country, and I mean in one city, and then it just began to spread throughout the country. The sick got well, the plague was ceased, and what happened was for many centuries, the name of Christ then continued to dominate in Portugal and spread to Spain, France, and the rest of the world. You guys can trace this. It's amazing how that message spoke by that priest changed everything. What happened? No longer speaking the name of Jesus. So I think we should get back to where there is power.